Thank you for downloading this episode of the Football Purist Podcast. Please help by subscribing and check out footballpurist.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Talk On Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hallett. And today I'm joined by an old friend of the purists. If any of our listeners caught the Ronaldinho retrospective by our Canary and Blue brothers, if you didn't, you should. It's a fantastic piece. Otherwise, this man is a bit of a podcasting machine at the Anfield Index. Post-match raw, old school, AI scouted. I'm sure I'm missing others, loads others. Dave Hendrick, how the hell are you, man? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Things are things are moving nicely, uh, personally and obviously for our our beloved football club. So yeah, all is well. Love that. It, for someone to say that during international break is brave. So it's a good update. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, nobody's gotten injured on the international touchwood. Nobody has gotten injured. So. I mean, it's it's a relief just to have the international break out of the way. But it was a nice little break as well for the players because there, there looked to be some some sort of tired legs in the Leicester game. So I think the break has done a few of them the world are good. For sure. Yeah, and no one's starting, I think, Brazil, El Salvador tonight. So no Liverpool starters. That's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And with a bit of luck, they'll, they'll actually let them come back today, which has been rumoured that Firmino, Allison, and Fabinho will all fly back today, which will get them back to the UK for training on Thursday. So they'll get Thursday and Friday ahead of the Spurs game as opposed to just Friday. So we should have them all available uh, and ready on, on Saturday. Fantastic. Um, wouldn't it be great to see a little Fabinho in, uh, at Spurs at Wembley, for instance. So uh, I thought we'd begin with just kind of a quick pass through the current squad spend a minute or two dave you're so good at doing this looking at each of the first choice along with the second and thirds and based on any holes that might pop up there might be a few uh look at some of the potential targets that have been talked about both internally through the academy as well as externally as we look towards the january window and then we'll get into the meat of it all in previewing spurs at wembley this weekend so uh, beginning with the squad, and you kind of need to do a victory lap for at least two sections of the park, right? They're back five and, mm. our, and our front three. They all effectively write themselves into the team sheet every week. And then you've got that reformation happening in midfield. So I guess there's no better place to start from the back than with Allison. You're looking at... A winner of four of his last four, his first four Premier League starts. Each of those, he played a significant role and <laughs> mostly positive to that end. Uh, some fancy footwork aside, he's a massive addition to the club, isn't he, Dave? Yeah, I mean, he's been a colossus since he arrived. He's just, he's very commanding, but it's the, it's the presence and the aura that he gives off. Like, he's very relaxed, very, you know, very much in tune with what's going on. There's no fuss, there's nothing like that. With Carrius, and I like Carrius, and I was one of the few that defended him right up until the end. But with Carrius, you always kind of felt when you look at him like there's chaos going on behind the scenes. You like, you know, when you see a swan and it looks all graceful on the pond, but underneath the water, the legs are going fucking crazy. That's kind of the you know the impression you get with Carrius. He's obviously a very beautiful young man, and he, he looks the part and all that, but. There always just seemed to be uh, kind of an aura of chaos around him. 
Um, not not always his fault, often by, you know, virtue of what was in front of him and things like that. But with Alisson, you don't get that. This guy is the real deal and he he's looked mistake at Leicester aside and nobody cares about that because we won the game, but he's looked the business. And what's interesting about Alice, I mean, of course, he means so much in terms of leadership in front of him. And that entire back five is kind of centered around the spine between he and Van Dyke in front of him. But looking at the depth chart behind Allison, uh, so I'm interested what you think. We've got currently an unhappy Mignolet sitting at number two, almost a full year with no playing minutes. <laughs> and then you got you got the kid Kelleher. Who do you think is going to finish the year in that second spot? I would bet that Mignolet goes in January because I think he might be a rotten apple. Um, I think he might just kick up a bit of a fuss. So I think he'll go in January. As you say, we've got Cuevin Kelleher, the young Irish goalkeeper, very, very talented, but <clears throat> there's some doubts over whether he's good enough to play for a club like ourselves. Um, there's Camille Grabara, the young Polish keeper, who, mm. if you, if if he what he says is to be believed, the kid is going to be the best goalkeeper in the world. So he seemingly has the self confidence. The talent is there as well. It's just the next two years are going to be key. I can see us selling Mignolet in January and maybe looking to bring in an, an experienced second choice goalkeeper who'll come in and and keep you know keep things warm behind Allison and and act as a mentor towards uh, Kelleher and and Grabera. Iker Casillas would have been the ideal one had we done it this summer, but obviously so it didn't happen. Um, but like I, you know, look as long as Allison stays fit, we've got no worries. And Mignolet's fine. I mean, if you're going to stick him in for the cups. He's fine. He's he's a Premier League standard goalkeeper. It's not like he's some scrub. Um, he is a Premier League standard goalkeeper. He's just not a Champions League caliber goalkeeper, which is what which is what we've needed. Okay, as we inch a little bit further forward and looking at the center backs, because I, I could spend an entire pod on them. At least the presence Van Dyke has established. Goal, athletic, wins every header, every duel. Always seems to have an eye forward, which. Uh, unanimous pick, in my view, for a future captain. Mm. <laughs> what else can you say about the man? Uh, again, just a giant. Just the presence, the the leadership, the communication, the organization. The fact that what I really like is how he holds people accountable and the manner in which he goes about doing that. Like he He'll yell at everybody, but when someone makes an individual error, he goes and he speaks to them. Um, it's not like certain others who have tantrums. I, I think Van Dyke has been the best signing we've made, and I, I include Mo Salah in that. Mo is is a phenomenal player, and it's been a bargain. But I just think that the difference Virgil Van Dyke has made to this football club is phenomenal. He's basically Danny Agger meets Sammy Hippia because he's got Agger's ability on the ball, and he's got Hippia's defensive awareness, his leadership his command, his presence, just the dominance in the air. He's the complete package. And for me, he's a top five centre-back in the world and the best in the Premier League. Pitching quite a few clean sheets in the process. Yep. Right along next to him. And this is probably more evidence of what you're talking about, the effect that he has on the club. You can stick in a Joe Gomez that hasn't logged a lot of minutes at center half since he was at the academy. You look at the lad, he's showing week to week some sensational tackles just versus Leicester. So mm. you, you really see a kid maturing into that role. Looks like he had been playing it the entire time. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
the thing is, this is the thing to remember. Joe Gomez entered this season with less league appearances as a centre-back in his entire career than Ginny Wijnaldum, and Ginny had won. <laughs> so, you know, like he's he's primarily been a full-back for us and for, for Charlton before that. I know he played a couple of games at centre-back last season in the Cups next to Clavan, and they were kind of a mixed bag. But, I mean, Joe Gomez has just turned 21. That's still very young for centre-back to be making his way in a top Premier League side. But that position is his now. There's no debate. There's no talk of anybody else. The only way Joe Gomez loses that role is if we go and buy someone who's even better. Um, And I, I don't think... Jurgen Klopp will do that. So I think we are locked in now with our back four, um, Trent, Gomez, Virgil and Robbo. I think that is it. That's boxed off. And the great thing is, I mean, we bought Joe in in 2015 and he's kind of been able to develop, you know, through our teams as well, you know, with the academy and obviously at the senior level. Um, Trent has come through from the academy. We bought Andy Robertson for... You know, we gave them Kevin Stewart basically in exchange. So this is a back four that, you know, Virgil cost 75 million, but the rest of them were basically put together for little or nothing. So, um, and, and they're all young. Like Gomez is 21, Trent turns 20 in, in October, I believe. So those two are going to be there for 10, 12 years. Um, that's that's just fantastic for the, for the now and for the long term to have that sort of situation boxed off. And I think when you look at our defence as well, we've got some decent depth. I mean, Nathaniel Klein is a good Premier League calibre right back. You know, he'll give you six, seven out of ten most weeks. He's a solid backup. Albi Moreno is the same on the left. He'll give you sixes and sevens. Now, he'll throw in the odd three as well, but that's fine. Um, he's only the backup. And then you've got um, Joel Matip, who's an experienced international centre-back who is capable of, as we saw in his first season, of being a decent Premier League centre-back. So if you have him as the backup to Joe Gomez, the only thing I would suggest we're missing is a long-term successor to Virgil, someone who's kind of 18, 19, or even a little bit older that we can bring through and develop. Now, Lovren, for now, will be the backup to one of them, but he I, I don't imagine he's at the club beyond next season, or sorry, beyond next summer. Um He's getting older, and I think he is. He's going to be. He's going to be thirty next year. So I think what we'll see is Dejan will leave, and we'll bring in a younger centre back to develop as the long term partner for uh, for Joe whenever Virgil moves on. And having Joel Mathip there, twenty six, twenty seven, enables that because he's the more experienced backup. He's the third centre back who can come in and play either side and partner either Joe or Virgil. And, you know, there's obviously going to be a drop-off because he's not as good as Virgil, but he's still a good centre-back, and we don't have the calamity then of, of a Lovren coming in. Um, so defensively, I think we're, we're one piece away from having our defence boxed off, not just for now, but for the next five years at least. Wouldn't that be a great situation for a club that's been starving for it for a better part of a decade, if not longer? Mm. Yeah, you can't talk about that back five without talking about those two amazing fullbacks. So first in Robertson, did you ever imagine a 24-year-old saved from the relegation scrap of Hall and an even exchange, as you mentioned, with Kevin Stewart? We've got Robertson and a 19-year-old, albeit promising academy player, have the makings of Liverpool's best defense in the last decade, if not longer. Like, this is fairy tale stuff. 
It is. Well, I mean, like you have to remember, Trent came through as a midfielder as well. Klopp converted him to a right back. So basically, we have a guy from Hull who started off at Queen's Park in the third division in Scotland. And um, um, a guy we developed as a midfielder through our academy. They're now our fullbacks and they're among the best in the league already. Um, Robertson is obviously the biggest surprise because, as you said, he was at a team at Hull who got relegated, conceded a whole bunch of goals. You do have to wonder, like, Harry Maguire was in that team as well. So you've got to wonder, like, what on earth was going on there that they were so poor defensively when we see how good Robertson is and we see how good Maguire has become as well. Like, it's just, it's bizarre that the two of them were there and they were so poor. Um, But, you know, to get Robertson for for the, the fee we did and the way Klopp brought him in and brought him through and developed him nice and slowly into the team. And again, like that position is his, nobody's taken that role off him for a long, long time. Um, and it's very exciting to see us have finally have a left back we can rely on because, you know, for the last 25 years, we've had a succession of scrap there. And the only one that had real talent, like real high end talent was Fabio Aurelio. And he was made, you know, of paper mache. <laughs> um, Johnny Risa was obviously a good player for a couple of years, but he was very inconsistent. Whereas Robertson is very consistent. He's seven out of ten every single game. There's no, he doesn't have bad games, you know, and he can up his level when he needs to. And the kid on the other side is just uh, Virgil is the next Liverpool captain, and Trent is the captain after him. That's the way I, I see it happening. Um, Trent is going to be the best right back in the world um, he's just he's phenomenal and I, I watch him I spoke to a friend of mine recently who's a massive Inter Milan fan and he said watching Trent is like watching a young Javier Zanetti <laughs> who the same had converted from midfield to right back had all the tools to be a, like a very good midfielder but instead became one of the best right backs of all time and I think Trent, I don't know if he'll become one of the best of all time, but I certainly think he'll be the best in the world at some point. Um, and like his passing ability, everything about him, because like, he can act as a playmaker as well from that right-back spot. He's, I would say if you said to Pep Guardiola, you can have one player from Liverpool, Trent Alexander-Arnold is who he'd take. think Klopp, anyone would be tempted to push him into the midfield. Do you think he's staying where he is? I think... There's probably a temptation there, and I think he'll play in midfield from time to time. But I do think he'll stay at right back for the for the long haul because I just think very high end right backs are kind of a rare breed. There's not a whole lot of them around. I mean, you can probably name the the great right backs in the game now on you know one hand without using your thumb. So, but when it comes to midfielders, there is an awful lot of very very good midfielders and. You know, like I say, I think Trent can either go down as a as a great right back or just another good midfielder. I think that's because I, I know when when Pep got uh, Joshua Kimmich, that's what he said to him: "You can either be a great right back or just another midfielder. Which do you want to be?" I think it's the same with Trent, and I actually think Trent's ceiling is higher than Kimmich's as well. Um, so I, I think. I think the, the the logical thing will be to leave him at right back because you have to remember we've got really good players in midfield already. Um, we've got one that we know for certain coming through from the academy who's going to be a stud. No, Curtis and Jones. we'll in all like Curtis Jones. And in all likelihood, we'll probably buy one or two more. And they're all sort of 
early to mid twenties in age. I mean, Ginny would be the oldest of them. I'm not I'm discounting Milner who's at the end of coming towards the end of his career. Henderson who's twenty eight going twenty nine. They're they're older. So for their their Liverpool careers, Trent will absolutely be a right back. But in the longer term, you know, Ox will be there, Fabinho, Naby, Curtis Jones and Ginny potentially and, and then whoever else we bring we bring into the club. So I just think he's better off at right back. Yeah, it seems to be borne out by the results. Uh, and just to put a final underscore on this, it, we were trying to think back to when Liverpool had a better back five. And at least through the decade, would you go all the way back to the mid-80s? Oh, wow. Well, you do have to give credit where it's due to Gerard Houllier and the back five he put together. Now, I know Vestervelt kind of fell off a cliff, but the year we won the treble with Vestervelt and goal, Babel at right back was the best right back in the world. Carragher at left back, I know he's a right foot centre back, but he did a good job. Sammy was world class at centre back, and Stefan Ancho was was a good solid defender. Um, they proved it over a couple of years, and they won three major trophies. So I think as of right now, they're number one. There's a Rafa era defence as well of Reina in goal with. Um, Arel, uh, Arbeloa right back Aurelio left back Carragher and Agar which again I think just because of you know they, they did it for longer I think they're currently number two and I'd put this one in at number three but what I will say is these guys are only four games in I think by the end of the season they'll have surpassed that Rafa defence largely because they didn't win anything and Daniel Agar was just so unlucky with injuries Um but I think for these guys to cement themselves as the best, they've got to win one of the big two. They've got to win the Champions League and they've got to win the Premier League. Not not this season, but as I said earlier, I think these guys are together for the next five years. I think they've got to win one of the major awards in those five years and, and then they'll have solidified themselves. Yeah, I think Klopp is definitely putting the, the club in position to have success this year. He's added all the key pieces, been very strategic in who he puts where, waiting for his player and Keita it seems that we're set up for that this year, uh, competing on all fronts as we are. As we move into the midfield, just as I mentioned, probably the area of the pitch that's under most construction, you've got a first choice through four weeks of Milner, Genie, and Keita, and then Fabinho still hopefully, mm. hopefully at the weekend. Squad's still missing that long-awaited Coutinho replacement. We whiffed on Fakir in the summer, and looks like we're still after a, a replacement. But, of course, Mane has drifted over there and not just evidenced by the shirt numbers. And then we've got all the squad players. You got the Hendersons and the Lanas of the world. So without laughing too much, uh, how would you rate Klopp and Edwards on this portion of the project? Yeah, I think this is the one portion that's still um, kind of a work in progress in terms of, you know, the starters. Um, Fabinho will, will no doubt establish himself as, as the, as as one of the three, Naby obviously has already established himself as another. And you mentioned the lack of a Coutinho replacement, and then, but like as you say, Mane is sort of taking on some of that role, and Naby is taking on the rest of it. So between the two of them, I think they're filling that void. So then it's it's the other two roles. Um, Fabinho takes one. And then it's what do you want? So you can buy a 10 and move Naby back and maybe have him do a bit more of an all-round job. But maybe the, the key with him is to let him become more of an attacking midfielder. 
Um, so you could play Fabinho as a six and buy a box-to-box midfielder, or you could buy a six and play Fabinho box-to-box and allow him to be more like he was at Monaco. Um, obviously, there's certain options out there. If you wanted to buy a box-to-box midfielder next summer, you could go for Tangu Endombele from Leon. If you wanted a natural six, you could go for Adrian Rabio. You could go for Ruben Neves. Uh, Leandro Paredes might be ready to leave Russia at that point after serving the sentence for whatever crime it is he committed. Um, <laughs> you know, so you, you do have options. There's definitely there's, there's ways and means. Obviously, Ox will come back into the mix as well. Now, in all likelihood, yeah, the thing is, Ox is going to miss this season through injury. Next season, I don't think we'll see very much of him at all. Mm. I think he's going to have to be brought back really slowly because what he's had is a catastrophic knee injury and he may not come back the same player. He, there may be a significant drop in his level. Um, we, we touch wood and we hope it doesn't happen, but you know, you have to factor these things in, but I mean, as a backup midfield three, say Ox Henderson and Ginny isn't at all bad. That's a quality backup three. And then Milner can play all three roles as well. So, like I say, we need to buy one more starter. Klopp wanted Fakir in the summer. Now Rabio has been linked and others have been looked at. I think once we get that in and box the starting three off, the backup three of, of, of Ox, Henderson and Ginny is, is, quite, is quite good. And then Milner to fill all the roles. And we have Lalana then who we can shift on and recoup some of the money that it will cost to bring in that third starter. And then as Milner moves out of the club, and on to pastures new when his contract ends, or if we extend him for a year, he might go and kind of at the end of the the nineteen twenty season. At that point, Curtis Jones comes into the mix, and he'll play a role. And then as Henderson has moved on, Jones will take his minutes, and then he'll start to threaten the, the starters for position there as well. So, I mean, it, while it's still a work in progress, it, it's very very close to being ready. I, again. I think we're one guy short in midfield of being boxed off in that role for, for the foreseeable future. Just precious few holes that we're surfacing here, and we'll get to that in the uh, transfer part of this. Uh, we got to spend a minute on our attack because, mm. I mean, why not? Uh, <laughs> our front three of Mane, Firmino, Salah, uh, it, it still p- picks itself. Mane's certainly looking more comfortable this year, uh, given what Klopp wants of him. And Firmino made his first deposit versus Leicester. Salah, plenty productive through the first round of games, but compared to the astronomical standards he set last year, it seems a little off the pace from, you know, golden boot winning 17-18. Yeah, I mean, look, I think with Mo, his, his season ended so disappointingly last year with the shoulder injury. And then he was clearly rushed back and for the World Cup and he wasn't fit at the World Cup. You could tell by watching him. So I, I, I don't know that that was the best thing for us as a club to have him play, but you can't deny, you know, a guy from a country like Egypt who don't who don't get to every World Cup, um, you can't deny him his opportunity. So he'll be fine. Look, we, we shouldn't expect that he'll have the same season. He might not score 40 goals this season. I think he'll score 30. I think Bobby will get 20-odd, and I think Mane will get 20-odd, but... We don't need them to be as prolific this year because we're much better at the other end of the field and we don't need to score as many because we're conceding less. Um, 
we've got this year we've got some quality backups. Shakiri obviously comes in. He's a very good player. He's proven in the Premier League. He's proven in the Champions League and at international level. And we know what we're going to get from him. Daniel Sturridge is back. Fish. Sturridge is a fantastic player when fit. He's only got a year left in his contract, but long term we're looking at Rian Brewster replacing him in that role. So again, I think we're like Shakiri for me. He's your fifth attacker. If I if I'm looking at it, I want the, the front three. I want one who's on a similar enough level to them, maybe just a step below, but with the potential to develop to their level. Then I want Shakiri and Sturridge or Shakiri and Brewster as we move forward. So again, I think we're one short in attack. Someone who can play, you know, either side. For me, the player there would be Christian Pulisic. Um, for you know, a plethora of reasons. Number one, he's a fantastic player with unlimited potential. Number two, marketing-wise, it just makes a whole ton of sense. If we couldn't get him, Chucky, Chucky Lozano at PSV would be my choice. Um, just for a lot of the same reasons, you know, huge talent, very young. He'd be a massive marketing tool as well because obviously, you know, there's a massive, um, you know, Mexican diaspora, and they all adore their national team, and they all adore him. For sure. So, you know, one of those two, plus Rabio or Dembele, plus a young centre back. I'd like Reese Oxford from from West Ham. That they'd be the guys I'd go for in the summer. I've got to ask you on Shakiri. how long do you think it'll take for him to bet in? When he first got run out versus West Ham, he just looked like chicken with head cut off. And I think yeah. Klopp is certainly trying to blend him into the front three, you know, with our miss on the 10 role, the attacking midfielder role in the summer. Like, I think a lot of us were looking at him potentially moving into that. It seems he's, you know, back up for the front three. Klopp has tried to use him early, but he could be on the same schedule as Fabinho. Well, I thought he looked good when he came on against Leicester. I thought he looked like he was playing with a bit more purpose. But I think it will take some time because you have to remember where he's coming from. He's coming from Stoke, whose footballing ideologies are you know, very, very different to what Liverpool's ideologies are. And Mark Hughes' personal thoughts on the game are very different to Jurgen Klopp's thoughts on the game. So <clears throat> I think it'll take some time. Perhaps it'll take the entire first half of the season and then we'll see him really kick on in the second half of the season. Um, he's having to learn to do things he hasn't been asked to do before. Um, you know, he's he's never really been in a team that pressed before because he came through a ball. They dominated teams to the extent that they didn't, you know, they had the ball so much they weren't asked to press off, off the ball. Same with Bayern Munich. So Inter Milan, pressing's not really a big factor in Italian football. Um, and obviously things didn't go well at Inter Forum. And then at Stoke, they don't press because they like to get into their position and they like to bet in. Um, so it, it's just, it's all new to him. And I think he's also having to adapt as well from being, you know, for a couple of years, one of the two best players when it was him and Arnautovic to last season being the only kind of very good player that they had to now just being another player. He's just one of the squad. That's it. He's... Not on the level of Mo, Mane, Bobby, Naby, Virgil. You know, he's not on their level. He's a level below them. And he's going to have to, he's having to accept that new role, but he seems like he's willing to. And that's the big thing is he's, but he seems to have bought into it. You heard him being interviewed in the summer. He was delighted to be signing for this club. 
And he's got points to prove. He's got points to prove to everybody who wrote him off and said that he was never going to reach his potential. And that's why he ended up at Stoke. He's got a point to prove to all those, you know, Gary Neville type people in the media who slated his work rate at Stoke and things like that, even though, uh, let's be fair, they'd have been gone long before if, if it hadn't been for him. Um, so, and he's got a point to prove to certain Liverpool fans who doubted him when he was signed. So I think we're going to see the second half of this season, I think we'll see Shakiri really, really start to become a player for us. Yeah, I think it's another Sturge situation where players aging, he's not as old as Sturge, obviously, but uh, he really struggled with not getting enough minutes at Byron and then over to Inter. And it, it seems to your point, he's matured a little bit, you know, making the decision as as he ages to get to a side that can win things and obviously work for a manager like Klopp. So you're going to get in a, a different Shakiri than mm. maybe you saw earlier in his career. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, look, he didn't have to join Liverpool this summer. He had other options. He could have gone to Leicester. They wanted him as, you know, to be the replacement for Maris. He would have started there. He could have gone to West Ham. His good friend Arnautovic is there. He would have started for them. Um, Crystal Palace were interested. So he had options. Um, he could have gone back to Germany. He could have gone to Italy. He could have gone anywhere he wanted, really. But he chose to join Liverpool because he, he bought into what Jurgen Klopp was selling. And I think a big part of it, <clears throat> when Klopp meets these players and speaks to them, that's almost more important than what they've done on the pitch beforehand because it, it enables him to kind of get to know them and and he's a very good judge of a person, not just a player, but a person and whether that person is going to be willing to buy in and sacrifice in the way he demands. I mean, you mentioned Daniel Sturridge there. It's a prime example of someone who wasn't willing to sacrifice and Daniel wanted to go to the world cup. That's what it came down to. He wanted to go to the world cup. It was going to be his last opportunity. And he put that before Liverpool. So he insisted on going on loan. And as it turned out, he got injured. He missed the World Cup anyway. And not just that, but he missed out on getting to a Champions League final. And you have to know that he's looking at that Champions League final thinking, well, if I'm on the bench there and Mo gets injured, I'm the one Klopp calls on, not Adam Lallana. And Daniel Sturridge with 70, or was it 60 minutes to play? Um, when, when the substitution was made, Daniel Sturridge could have made a difference. For um, sure. Certainly... Can. You know, he's the kind of guy that will create something. Um, he'll do something within that time. Adam Lana, unfortunately, had an absolute stinker of a game and offered us nothing and created nothing and did nothing. Uh, Daniel Sturridge wouldn't have been like that because he plays a real purpose. <clears throat> so I think, I think Sturridge has really learned from that mistake. And as we get through the squad, I, I can't help but ask you about, because all these players, the reason they came to Liverpool, they decided Klopp's philosophy and his track record and his abilities as a player manager are the reason they came, at least a, a good portion of the reason they came. Help us project out, because uh, I, I think any fan that loves Klopp as we do and is so impressed with the club's business to this point, would he be content with calling it a career at this club, or is this another chapter and he's got another one yet to go? Yeah, I mean, this is year three of the six-year contract that he signed uh, at the end of kind of that half season where he took over from Rodgers. And he's been pretty clear that he will spend the six years here and then he'll move on. 
So <clears throat> I think we've got this year and three more after it, personally. Um, I think what will then happen is he'll take another sabbatical. And at that point, it'll be 2022 and the World Cup will be over. And I would imagine at that point, Germany will change managers and Jurgen Klopp will become the German manager. Um, I, I think that's how his career will play out. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and <clears throat> we were talking about all these players that have, you know, turned down other clubs to come to Liverpool because of Klopp. Um, you know, you've got... Virgil turned down a bunch of clubs, Naby the same, Ox turned down Chelsea, um, you know, Mane could have gone elsewhere, etc., etc. And what's going to be so important to Liverpool is, and I know we're talking a long, long way away, but who replaces Jurgen Klopp? That's going to be enormous because if it's not a manager who can command the respect and the, you know, the devotion of these players... We could see a mass exodus, which would be a disaster. Now, at that point, a lot of them will be pushing 30, so we'd be looking to move them on anyway. But players like Naby and Joe and Trent and things like that will want to keep them long term. Um, so, you know, that's obviously something that Chloe have got to consider as well. Who's going to be the succession? It could well be that Pep and Linders is the one that this is, you know, that, that was talked that this has been the plan all along with him. Um, but we'll have to see. But, you know, I, I think we'll have Klopp for. The remainder of this contract, then I think he goes off to manage Germany. With any luck. Thank you. Uh, so as we start thinking about the holes, you know, a couple of holes that you saw pop up, center half, for instance, and midfield, and even in, in the attack, you see us competing on all fronts this year and adding in the winter window or waiting out as Klopp tends to for next summer for the Rabios, for the Lucas Paqueta. I think we will. I think we could well add somebody in January. Uh, again, I think Mignolet will go, so I do think there'll be a push towards getting in um, a backup goalkeeper, someone experienced, maybe someone like Tom Heaton at Burnley. Um, if he's prepared to move on from there, I mean, they, they'll have Nick Pope back. They've signed Joe Hart, so you know Hart as backup to Pope would work, and then we could take Tom Heaton as a, as a solid, reliable goalkeeper. He, he'd be. You know, he's a, he's an upgrade on Mignolet, if we're being honest. And he'd be on lower wages, etc. Um, and then Callagher and Grubera are there as the, the third and fourth keepers who can be developed. Um, I think that's something that could happen in January. Um, I don't see any changes in defence come January. I think I think it's the defence is the defence and will be for the year. Um, I think next the next thing we might see then is midfield. There's talk that PSG are prepared to go for Lucas Paqueta in January and pay his buyout. I think he'd be crazy to go there because they don't have a track record of developing South American players that they buy. Um, you just need to look at La Celso. You need to look at Lucas Mora. They didn't develop at all there, and then they were moved on. So he's one who's tailor-made to play for, for Jurgen Klopp. I mean... He can play as a 10, he can play as a 9. If you played him behind Bobby and just had them interchanging, that would be fantastic. Um, you've obviously then got Naby and Fabinho sitting behind. So he's, he may be the one that we move for. The other one to consider is Christian Pulisic because as, as soon as, as Dortmund say we're willing to accept offers, Liverpool will be front and centre of that queue. And from what certain people tell me, Graham Kelly and others we will embarrass ourselves to get him because he is just one that not only are the owners in love with, but Klopp and Michael Edwards love him too. So 
um, I think we'll go for them. And like I said, I mentioned Rabio earlier. He's been linked. Wouldn't surprise me if we tried to get him on a free. And if we could secure him on a free, maybe we lowball them and try and bring him in early. So I do. I think we'll be active in January. I, I don't think we'll be as um, as patient anymore. I think the Fakir thing kind of hurt people because it was done until and then it wasn't done. But also, we're a lot closer now to to the finish line of, of this project. Um, when you know when Klopp first took over, he took over a disaster. The club was a mess, top to bottom. The academy wasn't wasn't in good shape. The first team squad was was a shambles, um, and it's been you know a slow turnover. But we're now at the point where we are real title contenders. We are real contenders in Europe, and I think if if Klopp sees a guy in January who can help us make the jump, um, and who can enable us to win the title or win the Champions League, I think we'll make the move because the money will always be there. Getting into Spurs, shifting over to a rather interesting second half of September via the Champions League ties, PSG, uh, three days after we play Spurs, four days after that, Southampton, Chelsea twice for the League Cup and the Premier League in the space of three days between the two. When you talk about Spurs, you're really saying the overachiever on net spend in recent memory, uh, their probably biggest achievement in the summer was just holding on to their squad, keeping Kane, keeping Poach, and keeping Vertonghen. We always love a head fake to Edward Ward. All the hopes and dreams sort of pinned to this new new park they're building. What do you think it'll mean to the club, to the fans once it opens? Uh, it can go one of two ways. Um, for their sake, they'll be hoping it doesn't go the way the Emirates went for Arsenal, where it completely killed any chances they had of competing for the league and you know, I mean, for Arsenal to continue to get top four every year was a massive achievement, given you know where the, where their finances were were being aimed, which was paying off the stadium. Spurs could be the same. Like you say, the big achievement for them was keeping everybody in the summer. And the thing is, without even buying anybody, they have gotten stronger because Toby's now back. He's fit. He's healthy. He's playing well. Wanyama is back, fit and healthy, and and you know he'll he'll be great when he gets back in. Danny Rose is back, fit, healthy, and playing well. That's three of the back of the say back six, including the defensive midfielder, that was the best in the league a couple of years ago. You've got Serge Aurier, who's another season now under his belt in English football. He's going to kick on. Davinson Sanchez, the same. Last was last was his first year in England. He's settled now. He'll kick on, and he's got immense potential. So they're going to get better in those roles. You've also got Eric Lamella back, who missed almost all of last season with a bad hip injury. So <clears throat> even without buying anybody, they, just by virtue of getting everybody fit again, Spurs are a lot stronger than they were last year. Um, and you have to remember last year, they made top four without playing a single home game because every game was away because Wembley is not their home. For sure. So that's a factor as well, do you know? Um, so like uh, Spurs definitely overachieve every year. Like We talk about how we can't compete with Chelsea and and City and United in terms of you know money, they can't even compete with us and Arsenal. They're a tier three club financially. So, I mean, Everton are, are they can't even, it's Spurs can't compete with Everton financially, do you know? Um, so I, I think they'll be, I think they'll be very good again this year. I don't think they'll win the title. I don't think they'll win the Champions League, but they could win a domestic cup and I think they'll be top four again. 
they've just got really, really good players. Now, the risk for them is burnout after the World Cup. None of their lads got a big break. They brought them all back straight away. That's a question. So I, I'm expecting a tough game at the weekend. I really am. I mean, look what they did to us last year. And we went into that game confident, and they absolutely smacked us around the place. All kinds of PTSD heading into this one. I've got to ask, uh, do you see Spurs in the summer holding on to Kane, Poach, I guess it all depends on their finish, but if they achieve top four again, win a domestic trophy, maybe that's enough for Poach to say, all right, let's go to Spain. I think he'll go. I I don't know where he'll go. Um, if Bayern, if, if Nico Kovac doesn't do well enough at Bayern, that's a job that might come up again, so he could go there. Um, it already looks like Jose's exit from Old Trafford is beginning, so that job might open up and, you know, they'll go for him. Um, I mean, Real Madrid has been mentioned a long time, but they've just appointed a new manager that they're very happy with. So I, I think he's set. The the one to watch for me would be Atletico Madrid because Simeone. There's talk that Diego Simeone might, yeah, he might just have this season in him, and he might decide to go um, elsewhere. And Inter Milan has been mentioned as a club that he'd like to manage he's mentioned that he'd like to manage into Milan so if Spalletti you know, has a meltdown and, and leaves perhaps Simeone goes there and Poch goes to um, to Atleti because I mean who wouldn't want to take over that squad I mean that is a phenomenal group of players that, that Simeone and co have put together there so I can see why it would be appealing it's obviously Madrid they'll pay him a lot more they'll be able to compete on all fronts they're one of the favourites for the Champions League every year. Um, and there's not a whole lot of work to be done. I mean, you're not, it's not like you're walking into the mess that Mourinho's going to leave behind at United. You're walking into an established team with great players straight. You've got the best goalkeeper in the world, the best centre-back in the world, one of the best young centre-backs, Norman Jimenez, great full-back options, great midfield, Koke, Rodri, Saul, Thomas Lamar, and then you've got Griezmann and Costa up front. So you're walking into a, a team built for Poch. Like, it's perfect for him. It's exactly what he would want. Um, in terms of Kane, I think Harry Kane will stay at Spurs, if for no other reason than I don't think anyone will be prepared to pay the money Spurs would want. I think they'll want $150 million, And if you want a striker and you've got unlimited resources... Why wouldn't you buy Mauro Icardi for 96 million when you can, you know, when he's available? Because um, he's got a buyout clause, and he's a, I believe he's a better player than Harry Kane. So, I think Kane stays at least for another couple of years. Now, what might change is if, if Poch went to United, he might prefer Kane to Lukaku. So, maybe they'd offer Lukaku in cash. But I think Kane will stay. Deli Ali is the one I'd keep an eye on. Um, I'd love him at Liverpool. I'd, I'd pay all kinds of money to get him to Liverpool. I think he'd be phenomenal in how we play. But I could see him moving on. He's the one I could see moving on. Would Spurs ever allow him to go to... Or is he out of contract? He No, he's got a few years left. But Spurs will sell him to whoever will pay the money that they want. So if he starts to push to go and they decide, okay, we're going to sell him and we're setting a price of let's say 110 million it won't matter if it's arsenal they will sell to whoever will pay them because that's how levy works yeah that's the money game. um yeah you know and like and that's the thing is that money is going to rule that club for the next few years while they're trying because this stadium has gone way over budget so as all they're going to have 
as all stadiums do. And they, I mean, look, they've tried to do a bunch of fancy things. And I know they're going to get help from the NFL because there's going to be a whole bunch of NFL games played there. And they've done fancy things with the pitch to enable the the grass to roll out and this, you know, a, a turf pitch to come up and all that kind of stuff. Um, or maybe the, maybe the grass pitch goes down and the turf pitch is rolled out on top. I'm not sure which way it'll work. But either way, um, you know, they're, they're, someone is going to leave Spurs in the next couple of years, one of their big players. And my, well, Toby will probably be the first to go, but he's 30, he's injury prone. They have Davinson. I think they'll be okay. But Deli Ali is the one. The one I would look at who's probably not replaceable for them in, in an easy way. So as we shift over to how they're tactically going to set up the weekend, I mentioned Liverpool's PTSD and uh, Lovren. It's become a gif at this point, him badly missing the, that header. You got to look at their captain, start with the captain, uh, Lloris, recently arrested on drink drive, more than 2x the legal limit. And I know this can be a little opaque to our American listeners who might be desensitized a little on in the NFL. You mentioned it's a weekly thing for them and probably worse. Big difference, though, for Spurs throwing Michelle Vorm back there, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a massive step down. It's the equivalent of us taking Allison out and putting Mignolet in. I mean, that's that's what it is. Um, I don't think Lloris will be too flustered, to be totally honest. Um, French people don't really seem to have the same view on this as English people do so I think he'll be okay um, I, I'd expect them to go with a 3-5-2 um, I think they'll they'll line up with Toby, oh well Davinson on the right, Toby in the middle and Vertonghen on the left of a back three Trippier on one wing Danny Rose the other and then it gets interesting because this is where the weak point is they play Dembele as a, as a one with Ali and Eriksson as two ahead and it's Similar enough to how England played in the World Cup, and it leaves Dembele massively exposed. He's not very good defensively. He's not very quick anymore. And he doesn't really like being pressed from multiple angles where he can't just turn out of it and go a different way. So that's what I'd expect to see in midfield. And then Kane and Mora up front. That's a strong team. It, there's no way around it. It's a very strong team. But I think there's a weakness there in that midfield um, where... I just don't think Moussa Dembele is the player he was. He was never the player people made him out to be, but he was a very good player. Uh, but he's a, he's a couple of steps off what he used to be. And I think if we get Naby and Milner in around him, I think he'll struggle. And I think that's where we can have real joy. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Lucas Mora. So uh, long, long a favorite of our Canarian Blue Brothers. Really came in to form the last few games and hitting the double at United. Who worries you the most, I guess, on, on Saturday, And other than the fact that it's at Wembley? Um, well, it's hard to overlook Mora and Kane because, I mean, Kane is, is Kane and Mora is in great form and he offers that lightning pace. He's got great technical ability. It, it all depends on how we sit up. If Jordan Henderson plays, then my big worry is Deli Ali. Multiple times tortured Jordan Henderson by just running off the back of him and Henderson's very, very poor at tracking runners. So that would be my big concern if Henderson plays. If Ginny plays the six with Milner and Naby ahead, then it's 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 largely the front two and stopping the delivery from wide areas. Trippier is a fantastic crosser of the ball. Danny Rose is a good crosser of the ball as well. We need Trent and Robertson to be uptight to them and not allow them to get their crosses in. Because if you can cut that off, 
with Ericsson not playing all that well so far this season, um, you can starve Harry Kane of the um, of the supply that he needs. And that's the thing. Kane needs supply. He's not the type of guy that's going to create anything for himself. So if we cut the ball off, that's that'll be job done. But Mora is one that can win a game by himself. I mean, Mora can pick the ball up at halfway and take it, you know, take it home and score. So we just we need to be very very careful. They're they're not to be underestimated. They're a very good team. Always play us well, especially at this uh, borrowed home of theirs. That's it. They love playing us. They've got a great record against us over the last seven or eight years. Um, bar that one hammering we gave them um, at their place under under Rogers in thirteen fourteen, but they've been they've been largely very successful against us over the last few years. Well, we'll leave it at that. I know there's a lot of anticipation coming at the weekend. Let's hope Liverpool show. Dave, thanks for joining. We need to spend a second to plug all the great things you're working on. So please, <laughs> what do you got, man? Um, well, there's obviously lots going on at Anfield Index at the moment, um, both on the, the channel side and on the pro side. Um, for those that don't know, it's four ninety nine a month or thirty nine ninety nine for the year to subscribe to Anfield Index Pro. We've recently added Kenny Dalglish, the Kenny Dalglish, to our our stable of podcasters. The king uh, and AI. Own. King and AI, it's <laughs> and it's brilliant. So, the whole purpose of that podcast is to raise money for the Marina Dog Leash Appeal. Um, it's to raise awareness for what they do, and it's fantastic. And that's going to become a regular podcast um, with Kenny, his son Paul, and Kelly Gates from uh, from Sky. Um, yeah, his daughter, she's going to be the, the, the long term host of that as well. So, uh, it's something to be really excited about. They're going to have. Incredible! Like I, I could tell you who they're going to have on, but I don't want to spoil it. But the, the list of guests that they have lined up to come on will blow your mind. So if you subscribe to Pro, you get that uh, free. You get that exclusive access to that for seventy-two hours for because on the channel side, you also get you know under pressure, media matters, Euro incision. You get post-match row with me and Trev Downey. You get Moby on the spot. Jan Moby every week. I mean, what more can you ask for? <laughs> Jumpers for goalposts with Fidzi will be on regularly. Money matters with Mo. Um, Minefield, which is a phenomenal look into the kind of psychology psychology of football and and sport in general. Um, fatigue index under, under pressure. I mentioned with Dan and uh, the, the two Dans and, and Simon and, and Gag. So. There's a whole lot there, and there's AI scouted with me as well, which is um, which is every week. Happens so to be one of my you get a, Yeah, you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck. So it's you get a free seven day trial, and then it's like I say, it's four ninety nine a month or thirty nine ninety nine for the year. You can't ask for more. It's Kenny Dalglish. What what are you what are you what are you still waiting for? Go and sign up now. <laughs> well done, <laughs> Dave. Thank you again for joining and for all of our talk on listeners. Thanks for listening. Until next time, talk on. <laughs>